Hello and welcome everyone to this interview with Dr. Walter Furwhite. This is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach and I'm the founder of PCOS Diva and I am just absolutely thrilled to have Dr. Furwhite with us here today. He has devoted 37 years to the study of PCOS and its complications with over 2,500 patients. And in addition to his private practice in New York City, he's also the clinical professor of medicine in the Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism at the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York City. And Dr. Futterwhite was one of the early pioneers in the study of women with PCOS. He served as a national advocate for the care of PCOS patients, both in his practice and in his many roles as leader and advisor to patient support groups like the PCOSA and other professional organizations. He's the author of the popular textbook, Polycystic Ovarian Disease, originally published in 1984, and it's now a classic of medical literature, as well as a book that's near and dear to my heart for women with PCOS. It was published in 2006, entitled A Patient's Guide to PCOS. So welcome, Dr. Futterite. Thanks for being here. I'm delighted to be here, and thank you for having invited me. I must say that it is indeed uh, a uh, pleasure and a uh, privilege to talk to the women out there who really want to have more information. And I think your program and your ideas and what you have done has been very uh, uh, appropriate in this field. Oh, well, thank you, and uh, thank you for being so generous with your time to um, speak with us. So I have to tell you that your book, The Patient's Guide to PCOS, was really a blessing and a lifesaver for me because it took me 13 years of visiting various doctors' offices to finally get diagnosed with PCOS. And I'll tell you, if I had read that book when I was 18, it would have saved me years of heartache, anxiety, and confusion. Because when you read it, it's like spending two hours with you, you know, with one of the nation's top docs on PCOS, and really helped to empower me to take charge of my health. So thank you well, for that. I'm delighted. Uh, what really led me to do that was, after all, I've written uh, and uh, love to write for my fellows and for the uh, general uh, endocrine public. But I have not, uh, never really written directly to the patient, uh, although some interviews and uh, other forms of media and magazines have uh, done that. What bothered me at uh, several conventions where there were also lay uh, women there was the fact that many came over afterwards and said exactly what you said, that they have had symptoms for years and it was misdiagnosed. And uh, usually uh, those that were misdiagnosed were patients who were not really uh, overweight to a great extent, and particularly the mm-hmm. non-obese or non-overweight patient who was thin. And they, too, definitely were missed. So 
I felt it was time to write a book so that the patient can see the possibilities of other things, namely other reasons why they're feeling the way they do and have symptoms like uh, erratic periods, severe uh, symptoms of uh, acne, and after all, these things are occurring after the age of uh, 25 or even 20 is not really a normal uh, feature. And uh, the obvious pain and distress of having hair growth and thinning hair. So I felt this book would be of help. And for that reason, it was written for that yeah, and, and I really encourage listeners, if you have not um, read uh, the book, you can absolutely still get it uh, at on Amazon, and I highly suggest that you read it. And you'll find that there's two kind of themes throughout. And the first, which, which I love to hear because I'm all about lifestyle modification and to manage your PCOS, but Dr. Fudoy, you really kind of drive that home throughout the book. Maybe you could just... Speak to that for a minute. Yes. It is it is stated that even the some of the most significant treatments which includes metformin for the polycystic ovary syndrome is overshadowed if you mm-hmm. have a combination of exercise and correct dietary habits. The main point is if one is moderately obese, overweight, and even some of the uh, patients who are thin, exercise will always help because it will drive the metabolic features of the syndrome, which is summarized in to a great extent by the effect of a phenomenon called insulin resistance where insulin is not working appropriately. It puts out too much insulin to carbohydrate loads. So the dietary um, form of responding to the uh, negative uh, effects of the syndrome of the collection of uh, of uh, various uh, types of uh, problems that a patient may have are certainly firsthand the most important thing that they have to do. Yeah, and, and I think that uh, in your book it was a real aha moment for me when at the time I was really struggling struggling with fertility and you know PCOS was kind of presented as a, a fertility issue and even a cosmetic issue with uh, the acne and hair loss and, and all of those other kind of cosmetic things I was dealing with but the the lifestyle management it's really important, not just during the fertile years, but you had mentioned, and that, that was the aha moment for me, that there's possible long-term consequences if I didn't get my PCOS under control. Yes. Let me be realistic. 
uh, and say that the outlook in general is good if one follows certain guidelines. And the guidelines are you have to find either an internist who knows a lot about uh, polycystic ovary syndrome, your gynecologist, in working in tandem with preferably initially uh, with an endocrinologist. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, the help of various agents and treatments and so forth will follow. It is a team effort of physicians, really, that treat you. Mm-hmm. And someone has to be in charge, so to speak. Uh, I believe uh, the, your internist is your doctor, but when it comes to PCO, it should be the endocrinologist. That's a really good point, because a lot of women are confused. Is it your gynecologist? Is it, like you said, the primary care? But that's um, some really important information for women listening. So maybe you could just quickly uh, explain to women the difference between an endocrinologist and a reproductive endocrinologist. There's there's a lot of confusion there. An An endocrinologist does not do in vitro fertilization. He doesn't deliver babies. Although I did when I was a rotating intern, I loved it. (laughs) Uh, But uh, an endocrinologist is one who deals uh, with the uh, factual and with the um, molecular and therapeutic aspects of treatment, not of the just the dermatological aspects, but treatment of factors that influence fertility. Now, there are medications like metformin who 80% of the time uh, may even cause some weight loss if taken properly, and that means in the middle of a meal, and they can't miss it, it has to be done in the middle of the meal, and uh, also uh, the factors involved in uh, making sure that they have the syndrome. And, and that is why one has to consider PCOS not as a disease. It is a syndrome. It is a combination mm-hmm. of factors. And the endocrinologist's job is to make sure that there is no other entity from the adrenal gland, from the pituitary gland, uh, from uh, other entities which can cause similar findings, similar changes in the ovaries even. And uh, this is why an endocrinologist is really important. He does play a role in infertility. And... The gynecologist uh, and endocrinologist may differ in their views, but they uh, they have both very fair and good reasons to be fairly optimistic. Now, if a person weighs 250 pounds, it's going to be difficult uh, to have a um, a quick uh, onset of uh, having uh, a baby immediately with medication, but 
weight loss is the initial primary uh, lifestyle modification that you have to do together with the exercise, mm-hmm. together with the medication. Yeah, there isn't a magic pill. There, There is not a, a magic pill, but there are pills that can really help Mm-hmm. And I must say I've been very, very happy with the ones that Dr. Nestler, Dr. Aziz, and the endocrinologists uh, use uh, for infertility. Uh, is a drug which is anti-insulin, and it blocks some of the effects of insulin in preventing fertility by causing this term called insulin resistance. In other words, too much insulin is coming out by the introduction of carbohydrate uh, uh, to some excess in the uh, dietary pattern of the patient. So the drug in uh, the endocrine practice that is used often is metformin. We've had at least... uh, well, and others, too. I mean, there are a number of tremendous endocrinologists. And you had Dr. Legroan, who is a colleague of mine and mm-hmm. a friend, and uh, he has come over to Mount Sinai Hospital and talked. And uh, he also is a uh, brilliant, brilliant uh, endocrinologist. Uh, but he's, he's a gynecologist, so he's a gynecological endocrinologist. Mm-hmm. And uh, he uses clomiphene. So no matter what, if you're in good hands, like uh, people who've had experience who are academic, and it's a good idea usually to get an endocrinologist who's affiliated with a good, well, with a medical school. Yeah, that's what I recommend to to my um, clients as well. So, you know, and and being um, affiliated with a medical school, you know, you're also doing a lot of research. You're kind of on the front lines of PCOS research. Well, I I didn't mean to interrupt you, but uh, it's uh, I I I enjoy writing and I I enjoy talking. It takes me sometimes uh, now the first time with a patient. And a lot of it is uh, getting the details. It's like law and order. You've got to get all the uh, the data down, bring the data to the uh, physician, and the things he would like to look at, your former uh, ultrasounds or if you have other symptoms or other entities. You know, the uh, thyroid is also very important. It can play a very important role mm-hmm. in uh, infertility in uh, PCOS as well. And the management of thyroid during pregnancy is uh, really a specialty that an endocrinologist should handle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's something that I've been learning about too Um there's a wonderful blogger, her name's Hypothyroid Mom, and she talks a lot about making sure that your thyroid, if you do have low thyroid, that that's managed in early pregnancy um, or that's throughout pregnancy right. because it can lead to miscarriage if, it's, if it isn't handled. Absolutely. And if I may modify that, uh, mm-hmm. one must be 
very sure to test the thyroid prior to becoming pregnant mm-hmm. because of the very reason that you state. You can have not only miscarriages but changes in the neural uh, outcome of the infant. Yeah, great, great advice. So I, I just was wanting to shift um, a little bit towards the recent P- PCOS research that you've been doing. And um, I, I wanted, I know this, this um, particular study is a, a little bit, um, you know, in, in your past, I think it was in 2007, but I think it's something that women with PCOS should be made aware of, so I'm, I'm going to bring that up. That Thank you. I will. You, yeah, that you had um, done a study of women with PCOS and their mothers, and yes. that their over, mothers... Over 300. Yeah, go ahead. And uh, of the uh, women that were studied, uh, 30%, first of all, of the mothers, we, we studied the mothers of the young women who came in, and they usually came uh, with them when they were 18, 22, or whatever. And uh, Dr. Nestle and I, and uh, we, we, we did not follow them. We couldn't uh, uh, take on 300 patients. But we, we took a detailed history. And the history, really, I'm of the belief and, uh, that, of a diagnosis really can come from the history. And if it's a detailed history, the laboratory data and the physical findings are very important, but they merely, particularly the lab data, confirm what you first believe. And uh, you get that from the history. Now, in the study, we found that Three out of ten mothers with PCO children have PCOS themselves. Wow. Now, many had it with uh, a number of uh, procedures and using medication and so forth, although there wasn't much medication in those days. Some uh, of the older patients, uh, the mothers had the resection of the ovaries, imagine. Uh, That was done for a long time, since 1935, when the syndrome was first announced uh, by Stein and Leventhal in Chicago. So the news that I have to uh, tell you, however, is that the genetic uh, basis not only comes from the mother, and and this is uh, something a lot of people don't mention. When I get a genetic history, I don't only ask of the mother, I ask of the father. Are there uh, sisters of yours who are obese, infertile, uh, who had difficulty in conceiving, and so forth? So, actually, my feeling is that it is both the maternal and the Mm -hmm. paternal side that may be responsible. Now, in terms of complications, we all know that uh, the um, sisters are prone to PCOS in at least 35% 
perhaps even as high as 40% or so. And uh, also uh, the, uh, the fact that these women, one out of three who are overweight or obese may develop diabetes if they are not treated early and properly, namely early glucose tolerance testing, not only for sugar, uh-uh, one has to test them for insulin as well. So if you do a two-hour test, the baseline glucose has to be measured together with the insulin and repeated at two, at two hours later. 30 minutes or one hour is not really necessary, and in the medical literature, the two hours standard. And what happens is one notices when uh, the insulin level is studied in detail that the insulin level really goes up significantly higher than it does in normal women. And this is called insulin resistance, meaning that it takes a lot of insulin to get the sugar down and uh, to keep it uh, from uh, depositing uh, uh, in, you know, uh, to to deposit in muscle where it should go. And where does it go? It goes to the belly and it goes to other areas of fat. Mm-hmm. So uh, the complication, really the number one complication to look for, particularly with a family history, is that of diabetes mellitus. The second, of course, are the potential for cardiovascular diseases. But uh, the, the good news is that one has now the ways of determining insulin resistance and the severity of it and treat it with uh, medications like metformin and there are other ways, too. Uh, and, uh, I must say that early treatment is mandatory because, remember, there are also fat changes, lipid changes. There are changes around the arteries. The coronary calcifications present in a larger percentage than normal women. So uh, one must be realistic but optimistic in the fact that you are making a diagnosis and you are going to do things to prevent it from getting uh, worse. You're going to do the right things, the right lifestyle, and you may, in, in many, many cases, reduce the frequency. But remember, the genetic factors are very important. And the family history is very important, particularly in diabetics. So the long-term effects were found to be significant in the mothers who a number of them had already coronary episodes in their 60s by a number uh, uh, really, uh, this was a uh, significant number. It, of the 30%, I would say at least 
one out of five had uh, a uh, coronary event in the 60s, and some one or two even in the 50s. So it is not a uh, a good thing to delay this uh, in any way. And uh, the optimistic note is many of these things can be prevented by early diagnosis and early treatment. Yeah, and, and you know, it's just wonderful that you are um, doing, doctors like you are doing this research so that we know what to look for and the risk factors. I know next month I'm going to be speaking to Dr. Andrea Denais, um and she is doing a lot of this genetic research. Um, I have known her well. We have worked together for five years, the original work, yes. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. She came to Mount Sinai, yes. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful that, you know, that I, I think women with PCOS feel so alone, but I, I think the reason that I, um, I'm trying to speak to, to doctors like you is to know that there are, there are men and women that have dedicated their life to helping um, advance PCOS treatment. So, um, gosh, again, thank you. And, and I wanted to talk, um, before we, we run out of time, there's so many women that struggle with the androgenic um, effects of PCOS, the acne, the Hirsutism, the alopecia. Allow and, me to, yeah. to uh, say a few things about that. And uh, we do have some time uh, left. Uh, not much, but I can say this. Their uh, acne, for instance, uh, when it develops uh, later, let's say, in life, or it gets worse or it starts after the age of uh, 22, 25, this is not a normal state of affairs. It could be due to drugs. It could be due to many things. Cortisone can do that, too. But if it is not due to drugs, it should be looked at as a suspicion uh, of having the possibility of PCOS. It's not diagnostic as much as hair growth in uh, places where men normally have hair in uh, more significant uh, amounts. Namely, the hair growth particularly is uh, a terrible uh, emotional uh, uh, effect on women. It is significant in the fact that it in many ways ruins their psychosexual approach to life, makes them depressed, and uh, the the fact of the matter is that a lot of this can be treated not uh, just with uh, medication, but of course uh, everyone knows about laser and other techniques now that can be used to reduce the amount of hirsutism present and the use of drugs or a combination of drugs Mm-hmm. That foreman has nothing to do with hair growth. Uh, it, it really doesn't help at all in that aspect. There are medications called anti-androgens, and these include 
pill, usually in combination with a diuretic, which has been around only for a short time, 60 years. <laughs> and uh, seriously, 60 years. It's, uh, I don't want to give the trade name, but the generic name is called spironolactone. The combination of both are a must almost for the initial treatment of acne. And it really works most of the time. The dosage, of course, has to vary. And uh, the dosages will vary as per um, the endocrinologist's uh, view and uh, as to the effect of the medication on you. Then there is alopecia, and this is the one of the main reasons now. Uh, a lot of people are coming in. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I'm not talking about men. Uh, they don't go with no doctors too often. <laughs> uh, but uh, the fact of the matter is, women are very concerned, and they don't realize it. But before they even notice hair loss they already have lost about 15, 20% of uh, scalp hair, and they see it in the shower and, and so forth. They have to um, understand that there has to be a reason for the hair loss. And alopecia is not a major sign of PCOS. Having thinning hair doesn't mean you have PCOS. It's present in about one out of uh, three women to some extent. And the type of thinning of hair that happens in a PCOS, the incidence varies all over the world. In the northern latitudes, <clears throat> all over the world, it's less. It's more near the equator and more in the southern uh, uh, spheres of the um, of the equator. Anyway, the fact is that there are now uh, newer approaches to uh, the treatment of alopecia, and spironolactone and the pill alone is not and is not going to do the job. Mm -hmm. Spironolactone may be added to a new group of drugs called 5-alpha reductase inhibitors, which uh, I don't want to go into detail other than to say drugs like fen uh, finasteride are very useful. It's an off-label drug. I mean, initially when this was uh, first prescribed by physicians, uh, several years ago uh, particularly, uh, physicians were amazed uh, at the pharmacist's response. Uh, this is a woman. You're giving a, a drug for prostatism. <laughs> so, uh, but it is, I have found it to be a useful drug, and uh, hair regrowth may or may not occur, but it's, it's minimal, the regrowth. But it very often improves the quality of the hair. It, it makes the hair appear a little wide, wider in volume. And uh, it causes a reduction in the hair loss as well. 
So there are other antiandrogens, some of which are not particularly, um, let's say, safe, uh, and the drug is flutamide. I don't like to use it and um, because it has very bad liver toxicity. In general, the outlook is not bad because if the even the medications don't help, there are other ways that this can be helped. There are hair transplantations and uh, other techniques now, uh, and it is very important again to discuss this in detail with your endocrinologist as to the form of treatment that should be used for alopecia. It is uh, a positive look because with the use of 5-alpha reductase inhibitors uh, for uh, the uh, not only alopecia but for hair growth, we have really a great um, product for helping uh, women. Uh, one word more, there is a type of hair loss called telogen effluvium, which mm-hmm. can be caused by stress, by uh, taking medications, medications, yes, like uh, Indoral, Procardia, uh, Heparin, uh, many of the tranquilizers and antidepressants uh, do cause some hair loss. Even Accutane, the uh, the medication, you know, for acne, uh, 10% can have some degree of hair loss. So, uh, be it as it may, things look certainly on the upside as more and more things are learned about this genetically. And uh, certainly the uh, locus of these areas of dysfunction have been found. Uh, and uh, most of them will respond to some extent to uh, medications or other procedures. Just a quick question on the finasteride. How long does that take to show effect? I know a lot of these drugs, especially with spironolactone, you know, they would tell you it would take, you know, six months before you would see a difference. I have seen results with finasteride, and uh, I've treated a lot of women with finasteride over the last few years, as early as four months. Okay. Well, that's, that is hopeful. I can't uh, tell you as yet uh, for, um, for the reason that women will not stop it, but they have to as soon as they want to have children. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, it is useful also in postmenopausal women, but they have to take smaller doses. They should take smaller doses. Uh, and one does not uh, use it in anyone where there is a close family history of breast cancer because by blocking the conversion of the male hormone to another hormone which is even more potent, which is picked up by what we call the receptor for male hormone, which causes the action in the hair follicle, by uh, by by doing this, the male hormone gets converted to estrogens. 
Now, I haven't seen any uh, increase or significant uh, changes uh, in breasts. Uh, it has been reported four cases, but uh, four cases, and I mean, it's a small number, and there was a small report, but I certainly would not, I repeat, I would not use finasteride or dutasteride. That's, uh, so to speak, a similar type of agent, but not that much has been written about it, so I don't use it for that reason. Regardless, uh, finasteride does at least hold in bay the progression of the alopecia. Great. Well, that that's really helpful information. So, you know, as we wrap up our call today, I was hoping that you could leave us on a positive note. Yes, of course. I'm, I feel that there has been a tremendous increase in significant uh, findings where we can reduce the, certainly the dermatological changes. These can be uh, helped to a great extent uh, both uh, by treatment and by surgical uh, procedures and by lasers. What I want to talk about is that by uh, stressing and by uh, doing the right thing for yourself, you are doing yourself the biggest favor because you will live longer your weight goes down, you will look better, you'll feel better, you'll have a new outlook on life when you know this is something that can be handled well, that you can handle it by having the common sense of following advice of people who know about polycystic ovary syndrome and who have taught you and who may or may not after the menopause uh, treat you to, uh, to any extent. Uh, so what I would say is that things look up because a lot of progress has and continues to be done in the syndrome. Excellent. Sounds like a PCOS diva. You know, taking action and empowering yourself with knowledge so that you can go into the doctor's office um, prepared. And um, and then when you come away from the doctor's office so that you can start making the lifestyle changes that you need. So um, very, very appropriate message. And I just want listeners to know that Dr. Footerwhite has an excellent website. It's WalterFooterwhiteMD.com. He has some really informative videos from the Androgen Excess Society, which he is associated with, um, on things like alopecia. And you know, if you are in New York City and want to schedule an appointment with Dr. Footerwhite, I know that he is accepting patients. So. You know, it, gosh, it's great. It would be great to go and um, be able to have a appointment with 
an endocrinologist that has so much experience. And thank you for being with here with us and sharing your your vast knowledge. It's really been a pleasure. I thank you for having me, and it is my pleasure because I feel that people are entitled to know and should know and should really understand that the basis for help is there. Excellent. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm.